HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, you're listening to the Heritage Farm Report. I'm Jack Inslee. Heather from Heritage, Heather Hyman. And I know you must have missed me last week. I was not on the mic I was producing, but we're back. And we're sponsored by White Oak Pastures. Uh, the White Oak Pastures cattle are raised in a manner that is, has stood the test of time. It begins with southern sunshine, unpolluted country air, and fertile coastal soil. The cattle are allowed to roam the pastures and graze freely on sweet native grasses all of their lives. White Oak Pastures all-natural grass-fed beef has been available in all of the whole food stores in the mid-Atlantic states. We hope you'll support their program through your purchase of the beef through one of these whole food stores. For more information, whiteoakpastures.com. That being said, we're here with Lena Brooke. Hello, Lena. Hello, everybody. She's here from San Francisco. It's your first day in New York, right? Officially. Officially. Of this trip. Cool. Awesome. Welcome to Roberta's. Thank you very much. Glad Heritage to be here. Thanks. Me and Lena actually met at the uh, Interfaith Center for Corporate Responsibility event, Meeting the Demand, which uh, Patrick Martins of Heritage Foods USA spoke at. And Lena also spoke, and she spoke very well, and uh, actually really enjoyed your presentation. Thank I thought you it was so great. much. Um, so, we're here to speak about um, mostly the balanced menus program that you're working with, but why don't you first start and just tell us how you came to be where you are right now? Sure. Um, Well, my background grew out of a lot of work I was doing on a variety of different environmental policy and advocacy projects, primarily in the environmental health and justice sector. And Eventually, though, I, I felt like I was ready to, to leave a job that I had been working on for about five years at Clean Water Action in San Francisco and have always had a strong passion for everything related to food and the kind of puzzle fit together of connecting that personal passion of mine with a career trajectory. And so I ended up fortuitously landing a position coordinating the healthy food and healthcare campaign in the San Francisco Bay Area. And this is actually a national project that's coordinated by an organization called Healthcare Without Harm. And my the the nonprofit that I work for is called Physicians for Social Responsibility okay. and we're a member of Healthcare Without Harm. You're not a physician yourself. I'm not. Okay. No. I have a master's in environmental policy. Awesome. 
Now, um, how did Healthcare Without Harm um, become associated with the nonprofit that you're working with? Well, when Healthcare Without Harm was formed, it was always envisioned as kind of a coalition of organizations and an umbrella for many different environmental health and medical groups that were passionate about greening the healthcare sector. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I wasn't around at the time, which was about 15 years ago, but my understanding is that PSR was one of the early and founding member organizations of that coalition. And it's now grown to be an international organization, and there are wow. 450 members wow. at this point. Internationally? Worldwide. Worldwide, yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, PSR is the Physicians for Social Responsibility? Correct. Okay. Now, quickly, um, the health care bill that passed, I'm sure, was there anything in there that made you guys happy? Specifically, I, I, I think from my perspective, the health care bill was really about health care insurance. Right. It wasn't, wasn't specifically about the care that people would receive but directly. Nothing, nothing small in there, a little byline. I think what it did most of all is open up really important dialogues around preventive health mm-hmm. and, and a prevention agenda in healthcare, right. which is part of a solution to affordable health care. And I think, to me, connects very deeply to the food work we're doing. Totally. So there wasn't any specific kind of legislative or regulatory pieces to the legislation that speak to that, but it allowed the conversation to take place, and I think that's crucial. Totally. Um, now, how long has the Balanced Menus Challenge been um, an actual challenge? So the Balanced Menus Project grew out of work in the San Francisco Bay Area that I have been engaged with since July of 06. So it's been um, in its nascent stages, part of my work ever since I've been doing it, essentially. But we didn't think of it that in that context at the time. And if you guys are interested, I can certainly go into some of the kind of pathways that allowed our work on sustainable meat procurement to land at the balanced menus concept. But we have been, we've had hospitals working on it in earnest, implementing the concept since fall of 08 locally in the Bay area. And then we launched it nationally in September of 2009. Cool. Now, I, I thought I'd seen something on the website saying that you were you were um, pushing for a reduction in meat. Was that a reduction in commodity or just a reduction total in meat? Well, probably total, okay. um, which inevitably becomes a reduction in commodity meat because sure. almost, I would say, 99.9% of meat that's purchased in hospitals does come from the commodity markets. Part of the balanced menus concept is that there is, just simply isn't enough sustainably produced meat in the world today to Mm -hmm. do a direct substitution the way that um, you would expect to be able to do with produce, for example, or with hormone-free dairy, with other product categories. And so we learned that eventually along the way. And that's really where this balanced menus idea grew out of is that the hospitals or really any institution, in order to be able to afford and access sustainably produced meat, they have to serve less of it. There's no other way to do it. Which I'm sure is not so bad at all. I mean, portions don't need to be so big. Yeah, portions, reducing portion size is absolutely part of the solution. The meat reduction piece connects really nicely to a lot of nutritional benefits. And Mm -hmm. I think it allows the healthcare institutions to model 
healthy food environments, whether it's to their patients or to the visitors and staff that utilize their cafeterias. Some hospitals choose to implement balanced menus in one part of their food service operations and some do it in another and some do it in both. And we've left all of those decisions very flexible. Um, so as part of the balanced menu program to actually come up with a, a, a ideas for menus like are there sample menus that you present to hospitals how do you really get your point and your project across to these that's a great question we have about 30 recipes on our website on the healthcare without harm balanced menus website that have been um donated to us i suppose from a bunch of the different hospitals that we work with that were early adopters of this concept and we use that as sort of a reference guide to get people started um, we'd also dreamed up the idea of actually having a searchable database of recipes. Mm. But right now, with funding limitations being what they are, we haven't been able to really build that. But that's a direction that we'd like to go in. And we're also working with a group within the American Dietetic Association, Great. their hunger and environment group, that has adopted balanced menus. And they're working on a lot of the recipe development as well, which has been really nice. But oftentimes, it's just a matter of sitting down with a food service director or with a hospital chef looking at what they're serving and opening their eyes to just how much meat is being offered on a daily basis and also how much it's costing them to offer that much meat because meat is the most expensive food item on a food service budget. Which is crazy when it's not even good meat. It's like, what's the point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there many nutritionists that you work with so that you can help them on the hospital supplement their um, meats that that you're trying not to have them use with other proteins? Yep. We personally... um, Mostly work with food service directors or sometimes chefs. Those are those are the the hospital staff that we interface with. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are always clinical dietitians and food service dietitians that are involved behind the scenes. And sometimes they are concerned, especially on the patient side, that there may not be enough protein, or it would be more challenging to get the right amount of protein because protein is really important for mm-hmm. patient healing. But um, the few hospitals that have run into problems have initially have been able to work through those hiccups and have had no problem hmm. um, serving those balanced menus options to patients and have been doing so for about nine months. When you say hospital chef, I personally have always imagined just like microwavable prepared <laughs> things that get kind of put in the oven and taken out. Are there actually kitchens and chefs and there, these hospitals? I, I, having a, a chef in most cases, like a, an executive chef, still feels like a bit of a luxury. But it, mm. in we um, let me take a step back by saying that in the Bay Area, we have what we call the hospital leadership team. This is a group of nine hospitals that represent both large and small systems that have been working together for about three years mm-hmm. on a monthly basis to sort of a peer resource network. And sometimes we've done advocacy campaigns together. And within that group, there's only one hospital chef, but a couple facilities have them. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's the dietitians that prepare the menus okay. and take on that role yeah. in a way, even though they may not have the same training, the same culinary training that a chef would. Do you see in the future for this project um, a change in not necessarily just uh, lessening like the amount of meat products, but maybe trying to help them get sustainable meats instead? Absolutely. We we want to make this as easy for hospitals to implement as possible and 
just the idea of meat reduction is very intimidating mm. to to people, to the implementers. And so we've sort of split the project up into two phases. The first is this meat reduction piece where they really cre- work on creating menus that ratchet down the meat that they serve. Mm-hmm. And then the next phase is to get them to, to really start digging into the sourcing piece of it. And it sort of works in our favor because as the hospitals are working through these new menus, we as the advocates get to work behind the scenes with local producers and distributors right. to create that um, that new distribution network, for example, that may not exist. And we are open to working with both large distributors and small ones, whatever makes sense, because hospital procurement is pretty complicated in terms of the contracts that they're beholden to. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that the healthcare institutions work on their end of the pe- of the meat reduction piece. We do our behind the scenes work, trying to build that supply, and then when we're ready, they enter into phase two, which is bringing in that sustainably produced product into their operations. So, as part of your role in trying to procure these sustainable meats, like where do you go? I mean, do you have like a database of farmers, or um, do you look online? You know, it, it's so much of it. Just like anything, comes down to utilizing the relationships that we already have for example i was part of i was a fellow with an organization called roots of change in california and as part of that i met somebody who runs an organization in sonoma county called sonoma direct and they're they're a distributor of they were only doing lamb and now they're bringing grass-fed beef into the marketplace and through that relationship i was able to connect them with another hospital in the same county who's really kind of the benchmark leader for the balanced menus campaign and she's now buying grass-fed beef from Sonoma Direct. So some I mean some of it is like yeah. that other times I do end up, you know, trying to push large distributors like US Food Service to bring more of this the grass-fed beef into their operations or the sustainably produced poultry. It it sort of depends, but we've been circling around these relationships for a long time. And when you're um, trying to, you know, do that with like big companies like you just mentioned, mm-hmm. what is the biggest uh, like, you know, roadblock you usually hit? It's funny. The conversation has changed over the years. I mean, it used to be that it, it they would say, oh, well, sure, it's available, but it's a special order. And hmm. it, that becomes impractical for the hospitals. And right. special order inevitably implies very expensive. Hmm. And now I in the past two years, the marketplace has shifted completely. And my recent conversations have been, I I just, I feel like they're much more open to working with us. And I think the most important piece on my end and on the hospital's end is continue to send really strong signals that the demand is there, that the hospitals want this sustainable product. And the distributors are going to have to comply with that demand. I know what we promote here is that uh, when when you really break it down, the sustainable product is not that much more. It really isn't. It's, it's not. And a lot of the roadblocks come elsewhere in distribution and all of that. And it's really just not much more an expensive product. So the more we can promote that, maybe. Yeah. And, and there, it's also about being smart regarding the meat cuts that you're serving. There exactly. you go. And so we've been Absolutely. talking to the, you know, let's get the steaks off the menus and let's focus on kind of the cheaper but we can, higher quality yeah, cuts of meat. There's so much ground meat that comes out of an animal, and there's so much you can do with that. It's not even funny. Exactly. Pro- protein is protein. Yeah. And <laughs> people, I mean, 
hospitals serve tons of hamburgers every year. Mm. You know, it, it, just because it's a healthcare institution doesn't mean they're quite ready to give up on the burger. So there's there's a lot of market for grass fed beef. Yeah, there's a big improvement they can make on that one burger. Well, we have to take a quick quick break. We're going to come right back and get more into this. You're listening to the Heritage Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network with and, Elena uh, Brooks today. Yeah, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Heritage Farm Report. It's Wednesday. We're here with uh, Lena Brooks, a Senior Program Associate uh, with the Physicians for Social Responsibility of San Francisco. Uh, if you have any questions for her, um, you can give us a call at 718-497-2128. And we'd like to thank our sponsor today, White Oak Pastures. And if you stumble across this show, remember, as always, you can podcast us on iTunes. Search for the Heritage Radio Network. And we are at Twitter at twitter.com slash HRN updates. And we're broadcasting from Roberta's, which is 261 Moore Street. They're chopping wood outside, getting ready for good weather, hopefully. So, Heather. Here we go. Um, Lena, we wanted to talk um, a little bit more about um, who is involved in the network right now that you're working with for this Balanced Menus program in terms of the hospitals and... Sure. So we have about 30 hospitals that have committed to the Balanced Menus Challenge. And what that specifically asks them to do is to reduce their meat purchasing by about 20% over 12 months. And the 20% benchmark is something that is relatively easy for hospitals to meet. Once they do that first run through the menu and start to make changes, um, the the four facilities that have been implementing balanced menus for about a year in the Bay Area have made anywhere from about a 5% to a 40% reduction. Wow. So it, it really depends on the scale at which you're implementing. Mm-hmm. And there are facilities throughout the country that have committed to this, including um, a bunch of facilities in the Maryland and Washington, D.C. area, in the Midwest, Michigan, Oregon, California, et cetera. Now, what's the next step 
after say say we've reduced meat by 20% then then what well i think at that point it's that question that you asked a few minutes ago. It's it's figuring out the sustainable supply mm, and bringing okay. it into their operations. And what is really what I think is really cool about this balanced menus project too that we actually didn't necessarily anticipate initially is that it's a great way to implement a whole lot of sustainable purchasing. So as they're reducing meat, they're going to be thinking about produce. They're going to be thinking about grains or legumes, and they're going to be thinking about where the food that they're buying is coming from in every context. And so as much as it is about meat reduction, it also is an opportunity to bring in sustainably produced food from lots of different realms. Mm. Now, how do you get other institutions involved? Do you target specific um, hospitals? That's a great question. We So the Healthcare Without Harm program, Healthy Food and Healthcare, we, we act as a, a work group of sorts. It's a virtual network of organizers in five or six different regions throughout the country. And so we have people on the ground who can provide technical assistance, who inter, interface with facilities and encourage them to participate. But um, that kind of one-on-one relationship building is obviously very time intensive. And so we try to do as much media as possible. And in fact, in March, we tried to capitalize on the fact that it's National Nutrition Month. Mm-hmm. And it is. yep, right. so we did a lot of publicity kind of connecting and, and asking hospitals as many of the hospitals as we work with as they're setting up special programs mm-hmm. for National Nutrition Month to do balanced menus as a part of that, even yeah. if it's just a trial period. That's for great them. timing. Yeah, and that's how uh, we ended up getting that great Washington Post article out of that. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. What, what came out in the Post? So my colleague, Louise Mitchell, who works at the University of Maryland, had a balanced menus gala, um, mm-hmm. actually, the day after we met Jack at the ICCR meeting and she invited um, folks from hospitals and I believe schools and maybe, and also just chefs in general interested in sustainable food to this event and sent out a lot of media advisories and press releases and got the attention of the Washington post. And so they ended up doing this great article the following week in the health section. And she, you know, she, Martha Thomas, the reporter, did a fabulous job explaining all of the different nuances of the organizations involved, the healthcare institutions. They fi- featured Georgetown University because it's one of the first large-scale universities on the East Coast to sign on, um, okay. and did a lot of background on why this is important, why the balanced menus concept is important. And she also really honed in on the climate change piece, which we haven't mm. really talked about here. But No, what do, in, what do you mean? Um, so there's sort of three core reasons to reduce meat. Okay. Um, obviously, we, we talked a little bit about the nutritional, personal health reasons. There's also a lot of environmental reasons because the confined animal operations in, in which most of our meat, up to 99% of the meat in this country, is raised that way, has a profound negative impact mm. on water pollution, air pollution, from the healthcare perspective, um, the fact that they rely on non-therapeutic antibiotics on a regular basis as part of routine feeding of animals to prevent disease that stems from these confined conditions is a huge problem. And so those are two of the core reasons. The third is climate change. And there's been a lot of interesting international research coming out of the United Nations over the past few years pointing to the significant impact that meat and dairy production has 
on climate change, mm-hmm. um, wow. like disproportionate even to transportation. And so we sort of provide all three of those reasons to facilities to encourage them to participate. And this is, it's been really successful because a lot of hospitals are trying to think very comprehensively about climate change mitigation. Mm -hmm. And so this balanced menus project could eventually be a way for them to reduce their carbon footprint. Wow. So that's another incentive for them. Yeah, really. They have plenty of incentives. (laughs) As if they didn't need another one. Choose one. Now, you said um, the the university that signed up, though. I wasn't aware that you were working with universities also. And I assume that must be a little bit of an easier process since maybe there's more money. You know, we are working with university medical centers. Oh, okay. And as opposed to the student dining services at universities. And so I, I think they're under probably similar financial constraints as most okay, other yeah. hospitals are. Yeah. I mean, I, speaking of university cafeterias, though, I assume that, that that's got to be a great place to start with, with kind of attacking the whole institutionalized food problem. Um, Absolutely. I think the student advocacy on yeah. sustainable food has been enormous. I mean, you guys probably are aware about the real of the real food challenge. And within the University of California system, there's a whole lot of student movement and I think the food especially at UC Berkeley and UC Santa Cruz I'm not as familiar with the schools in um in the southern part of the state but I think the food has changed tremendously especially since I was a student mm-hmm. at UC <laughs> I couldn't speak highly of my culinary experiences back then NYU was eh. not there yet Nah. Maybe we can go talk to them. Not quite. Two NYU alums in the studio. So, <laughs> And Three. even actually, I went to graduate school at the Yale School of Forestry and finished in 99. And this was just before John Turin started all his great work mm. at Yale. And Jack, when he spoke at that event, it mm-hmm. really reminded me how quickly all of these conversations have emerged. Mm. Definitely. Like, that the social cultural mo- momentum that we're living in right now around food is Absolutely. really tremendous. Yeah, like Patrick was speaking about uh, during the break with whole, Jamie Oliver's whole primetime ABC program That's on the food changing, revolution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nice to have that kind of sandwiched between other reality shows. I guess absolutely, definitely, absolutely. Now, you said that you've also had some small work in the uh, school lunch programs in in your area. Yeah, I. So, given my interest in in food issues, mm-hmm. when my daughter started kindergarten about a year and a half ago at San Francisco Unified School District. Um, I saw this as a great opportunity to get more involved in school lunch reform within our district. And there was some need um, identified to me by some folks who had been working on these issues for a while to really create a space for parent advocacy and community advocacy and supporting these issues up until I started to act on that. It The work had happened more kind of in an administrative realm. It wasn't as public. And so I ended up um, founding the San Francisco School Food Coalition, which is sfschoolfood.org. And it's it's a nascent effort. Um, we've, we've, I think our, our biggest campaign to date in the year that it's been in existence was called Paper Plates for Pelosi, where we had kids last fall in about 30 schools decorating paper plates with messages for the speaker, asking for her support for healthier food and more funding for food. And just a couple of weeks ago, um, on March 9th, we presented over 2,000 of these plates to her deputy director at a school assembly um, Mm -hmm. in San Francisco. So that was really fun to, to have 
kids who made these plates be able to make that connection to their legislator. And I'm hoping that when she comes, when Speaker Pelosi does come to San, back to San Francisco now that health care is done, right, we can have a yeah. meeting to talk to her in person about that. About more health issues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She'll be ready. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, wh- one more time, the website for um, the program. The Balanced Menus mm-hmm. Project? Sure. So you can find more information at healthyfoodandhealthcare.org. Okay. And if there's a, a page for a balanced menus, just click on that and there's a, a bunch of information there. Awesome. Any other websites that you wanted to promote? other Uh, projects nope i think that that pretty much does it awesome all right well thanks so much lena for coming to bushwick i'm i'm sure it's a little bit crazy for you but bushwick uh, from the bay it's a pleasure give you some pizza here from roberta's so you can get a taste of that the fire is raging thank you guys so much it's been a pleasure no we're glad to have you on and hopefully we'll be back again next year and we could talk about how many more schools have signed up i mean uh, hospitals have signed up i hope so yeah totally (laughs) looking forward to it awesome thanks so much we'll be back next Next week 5 p.m farm report heritage radio network thanks to nat wiener the engineer and patrick martins the producer thanks guys (laughs) 